What is up, Level Up Nation, and welcome to the February 16th edition of Level Up Live, your home for gaming and esports news, brought to you by OTN Media. My name is Fiasco, you can call me John, and as always, I am joined by the king of the courtside, the courtside king, Joey. What's up, buddy? I am doing all right, sir. It has been a long week. Uh, I know both you and I have been very busy outside of our usual OTN stuff, so the office has run us ragged this week, but we are here. The topics are definitely a little bit lighter this week, but still plenty to touch on to make us a decent show. Absolutely. And Nation, as always, even though we're tired, we still tweet. We still hop on social media, both on the show's account and our own accounts as well. So make sure you follow the show on Twitter and Facebook at Level Up Live. That is at L-V-L-U-P Live. And while you're on Twitter, make sure you throw Joey and myself a follow if you're watching here live on Twitch. The handles are right below the mugshots you're currently staring at. That's at Courtside King and at Fiasco, respectively, of course. And if you listen to the podcast version of the show, have no fear. I know you can't see us, but you can see the show notes below uh, on your podcast feed. So just take a look down there as well. And Nation, while the live show on Twitch is the place to be Thursday nights, 8 p.m. Eastern. Unless we decide to change it on the fly. Uh, that is the best place to be, but have no fear. If you do uh, need the podcast version, uh, check out the Level Up podcast available on your podcatcher of choice. And as always, extra credit, earn Joey's eternal love by using that spicy Twitch gaming sub Amazon Prime, whatever the heck they're calling it this month, on OTN Media on Twitch as well. All right, Joey. So uh, you mentioned a little bit. It's going to be a little bit of a lighter episode. Uh, what are some cool stories we're hitting on today on episode 301? Absolutely, sir. Today in the news, guys, we have EA Sports reportedly close to signing a big deal with the Premier League. They recently broke away from FIFA, so kind of touching on what that means for EA's future soccer titles or football, depending what country you're in. Uh, we have CSGO beating an all-time record that has been in the works for 10-plus years. That game has been around for quite a while. Still hitting records is absolutely phenomenal. Double Fine in the wonderful mind of Tim Schafer, giving us a big docu-series on Psychonauts 2, kind of diving into that. Bungie detailed the year ahead for Destiny 2. Yes, it is still going. Riot Games gave us a brief look at some new games in the works with their Forge partnership program and more. All right, we have some awesome topics I can't wait to dive into. But first, Joey, as always, it is time for the drink of choice, sir. What is your beverage for tonight's episode? I am just drinking some water. I am tired and I have a headache, but I am here. Yeah, I feel you. Um, I also do not have alcohol. I have probably something that's not good for your headache, uh, which is Coke. So, hey. Yeah, there you go. Uh, we have our beverages. We have our topics. Joey, we're going to have to stay awake for this one. Uh, it is time for us to get into gaming and esports news. But first, it is presented as always by GamerBytes, bite sized gaming and esports news delivered weekly directly to your inbox. Sign up today. If you are here in Twitch chat, uh, check out that spicy link that we just put up there in chat. If you are listening to the podcast version, it'll be in the show notes for you below as well. Joey, let's go ahead and get into gaming and esports news. Let's go. Absolutely, John. Kicking it off, Saudi Arabia. We talked about them, I think, a month ago at this point. They made an investment into Nintendo and started to increase that investment over time. 
well, in typical Tencent fashion from the Chinese gaming conglomerate giant uh, or just social giant of technology in general over in China, uh, Saudi Arabia and their public investment group doing something similar here, finding ways into companies, investing 1%, 2%, whatever it may be to get in, and then increasing that investment over time. Now in Nintendo, the owner of the biggest console out there right now, you can argue the PS5 is selling incredibly well, which it definitely is, and it is making more money in that front. But the Switch with most units sold is by far the biggest at the moment. Now they have 7.8% in Nintendo. 7.08% that is. Uh, and again, I think the biggest concern here is one, uh, Saudi Arabia is not necessarily known for their greatest of morals in certain aspects of this. And we've touched on that on what? many occasions. Um, and overall, now we're continuing to see them increase their stakes in a company that people know and love. And what does this mean for that company? Will that company still produce the titles it does today? Uh, will it start going in there and changing up the way some of its operations work, um, both from like a censorship standpoint to an actual operational standpoint? I think a lot of gamers are concerned about this. But again, it is only 7% for now. It is a minority share. But it's something we continue to see increasing time and time again. Yeah, hopefully that 7% doesn't make a whole lot of noise. And hopefully it doesn't grow any bigger than 7%. Uh, in Nintendo. I mean, it's a great deal for Nintendo because it feels like Saudi Arabia just has stupid amounts of money that they're just trying to get rid of with everything they're investing in. Uh, Joey, for for those that follow soccer uh, or football in your country of choice, mm. um, you know, the the same investment group is, is trying to buy uh, multiple English Premier League teams as well. Uh, they have investments in uh, Paris Saint-Germain, uh, they're just all over the place throwing money around, uh, whipping their influence with dirty dollar bills. Uh, so it, it's very interesting to, you know, I would love to be a fly on the wall to figure out what their end game is. Uh, cause it just feels like it's like, oh, here, I found a couple hundred millions of dollars. Let me throw it at this. Let me throw it at that. What is their end game, uh, by throwing all this money around in different industries, um, because at, at the end of the day, it's like, okay, are you trying to drive tourism to your country because you're still kind of missing the point with your horrible morals and values and your record on human rights? Um, but, you know, it's, I, what is the end game here in investing, not just in Nintendo, but in other industries around the world? It's, it's a very uh, – so, like, a lot of times when, when Tencent makes an investment, it makes sense. They're investing in – gaming companies tencent is a gaming company themselves they're expanding their footprint they they're trying to bring money in that way that makes sense yes tencent does have ties to the chinese government as well but in this case it just feels like there is no strategy other than just throwing money around and possibly having an influence here and there uh but again like you said joe i think the best news here is that it is only seven percent it is only a minority share here so hopefully uh, we're not going to see too much uh, too much censorship coming out of the 7% investment into, into uh, Nintendo. Right. And just to give a little bit more backstory, so this is the third investment from the Saudi Arabian Public Inter Investment Fund rather uh, into Nintendo. They started out with a 5.01% stake in May 2022. Last month, they increased it to 6.07%. Now they've increased it again, another percent to 7 So again, it's that kind of inching method. They bought it initially. It was a little bit higher than that 1% that we typically see and then just have continued to increase from there. Some of the other ones they've done, they've uh, they put $3 billion into Activision Blizzard, Electronic Arts, and Take-Two a couple years ago. They've developed, or rather acquired, 96% of Japanese developer SNK. 
They have 5% in both Capcom and South Korean online games publisher Nexon, who, by the way, has a showcase coming in March that should be fun to look forward to. Um, but overall, they continue to invest a lot of money. They've told, I believe it was in one of their like um, market reports, they have about $13 billion to spend in total. So we're seeing somewhere around $5 billion or so of that spent between these other investments, and we're continuing to see them pour that out. But supposedly they're looking at buying a big publisher as well. We don't know who that is. Uh, some speculating it could be Take-Two Interactive, some saying Ubisoft potentially, uh, but it is one of those things that gamers are going to have to look out for, uh, depending what that ends up doing, how that shakes up the culture of different publishers or developers that they end up purchasing overall. Moving from investments into or into Nintendo uh, into a few other investments here, EA Sports, uh, EA Electronic Arts has kind of broken away from FIFA. We've talked about this quite a bit in length. Uh, FIFA charged them a fund to use the branding of FIFA. EA said we're done paying that branding. We don't think the FIFA brand is worth continuing to put forth this money that's being asked from the organization of FIFA. So they have broke away, taking their popular soccer title and rebranding it to EA Sports FC. Since then, it has kind of been, I'm not going to call it a war, uh, but an ongoing struggle between the two to kind of lock down different rights with popular leagues throughout the world, whether it be Serie A in Italy, the Bundesliga in Germany, the Premier League in England, La Liga in Spain, and the list goes on and on. So overall, everyone's kind of competing for these signatures to be able to use the likeness of the players, to be able to use the likeness of the leagues, the jerseys, the stadiums, all of that goodness. We don't know what the exclusivity of this deal in particular looks like, but one of the biggest leagues and most popular leagues in the world is the English Premier League. And so far, reportedly, according to the Video Games Chronicle here, EA is close to signing a £500 million deal with the Premier League. Now, again, I don't know what this means as far as exclusivity. Does this mean they're the only ones that can have it and whatever FIFA's equivalent game cannot use the Premier League? Possibly. Uh, but it could also just mean, hey, we've secured rights. So if FIFA has the rights as well, we can at least equal them on that front. Yeah, so... My understanding from what has been reported uh, on this, so right now EA Sports already has a deal in place with the English Premier League. This essentially would just lock them down for uh, an additional, um, I believe uh, the article and reports were saying like another six years. Yeah, six-year deal, uh, which is in U.S. dollars is close to about $93 million a year uh, for the rights to EPL. And I think Which, it had to be renegotiated because of yeah. the title break, if I remember correctly. I don't believe so because they didn't have to renegotiate with the Bundesliga. They didn't have to renegotiate with mm. Series A or La Liga. Um, Interesting. The, the biggest takeaway that that I read from this article and some other articles was the biggest thing that FIFA is good, not pardon me, that EA Sports is going to lose without the FIFA branding is anything that's uh, FIFA backed, like let's say the World Cup. Um, so the World Cup, let's say in four years, it comes around again. EA Sports FC will not have the officially licensed FIFA World mm -hmm. Cup in that game. Um, which for people who've played this game before, when Juventus did not, when EA Sports did not have the rights to Juventus, Juventus sold their exclusive rights uh, to Konami's uh, uh, soccer title. Um, uh, that was the only place where you could actually play Juventus, the players of Juventus, EA Sports came up with uh, a makeshift club that looked like Juventus, that played in a stadium like Juventus' stadium, that had players like Juventus' players, but not the names, not the pitchers. So it's kind of like, uh, prime example, you play right now, FC Bayern Munich, my, my club that I support, 
Uh, you can play the team. You have the real players. You don't have the real stadium. Why? The Allianz Arena signed an exclusive deal with Konami. So uh, that's the reason why you don't have the Allianz in uh, FIFA this year. Um, but with this, it's essentially saying, you know, you take a look at the Premier League. Uh, the referees have EA Sports badges on uh, their jerseys. It's probably going to be a continuation of that. The rights to the FA Cup, uh, all the divisions of the uh, English soccer pyramid, uh, the clubs uh, in there as well. It, it's a massive, massive deal. And the reason why the EPL can demand such a high figure, uh, like Joey was saying, it is the most watched league. Uh, it has the highest uh, TV license rights uh, in the world. Uh, the amount of money that goes into the EPL is borderline a monopoly compared to all the other leagues, especially in Europe, uh, which is one of the reasons why we're seeing talks of that Super League pop up again. Um, but this is a major, major win if this does come to fruition for EA Sports going forward. Uh, and it's really going to hurt FIFA, really. FIFA's attempt to create their own uh, soccer, soccer simulated game uh, EA Sports just has a lockdown, and Joey, when we saw the news come out that they were having that nasty split, um, all the leagues pretty much came out and backed EA Sports, which is kind of awesome if you think about it. Uh, they have that 30-year relationship uh, with those clubs, with those leagues, so it's really, really cool to see them come out and support uh, EA Sports. Again, this is so weird talking positive about EA, uh, but EA Sports and their endeavor to continue the 30-year-plus legacy of their soccer title going forward. Right. I mean, EA has the audience. EA has worked with these leagues for multiple years. EA has shown they can make a successful game, even if they do copy and paste the Nintendo Switch version year over year. Uh, it is just one of those things that's <laughs> been around. They've made it successful. I would argue, I mean, in all honesty, FIFA in and of itself, if you look from a worldwide perspective, the organization is large and it's very popular. But from a commercialized perspective, I almost feel like the game itself has been sold so well in certain countries, at least like the U.S. If you ask someone what FIFA is in the U.S., I think more people would say a game than a soccer organization, if I'm being yeah. completely honest. Now, over in Europe, I think it's a little bit different. Um, but the U.S. is bringing in a lot of money when it comes to gaming. And clubs like the EPL, or leagues rather, like the EPL, the Bundesliga, they realize that. They see where the income's coming from. And if you're going to partner with someone, do you want to partner with the corrupt FIFA organization that's constantly in the news for bad reasons or EA that's occasionally in the news for bad reasons like loot boxes, but overall has done well in the FIFA sphere? I think the choice is a little bit easier on that front. So we'll see how it all shakes out. But again, as John said, you obviously know more about this deal than I did. I was thinking this was kind of a renewal after they ended up with their little breakup situation. Um, but it does sound like this is a little bit deeper and just kind of increasing that relationship. Yeah, well, what's going to be interesting to see is what this deal sets as a precedent because the Bundesliga license is coming up, in a, I believe, in another two years. Mm. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see uh, because uh, the last couple of years, I want to say the last two years, EA Sports introduced, exclu not exclusive, but um, if you play a German Bundesliga club in career mode or something like that, you have an in-game graphics package that is identical to what you see on TV. You have that with the EPL. You have that with La Liga. You have that with Series A. You have it with MLS in EA Sports uh, FC or FIFA 23. Um, so that's one of the cool features they've added in there. Uh, if that deal does not get renewed, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens to those leagues based upon this deal uh, potentially getting done here in the coming weeks. There we go. So we'll keep an eye on that. Again, this is reportedly... 
So we really don't know 100% what this deal looks like or what stage it's at at this point. This came out, I think it was with Thursday or Friday is when this news broke. Um, so there has been, well, I guess it would have been after Thursday. So Friday, Saturday, somewhere in that range uh, that we did initially hear this. So about a week after that, we'll keep an eye on it, though. Once we hear something official, we will definitely report it to you all. Next up in the news is CSGO. That's Counter-Strike Global Offensive, one of the most popular games in the world, but especially one of the most popular shooters in the world. Uh, it's always done extremely well with this kind of two-bomb site approach to things with an attack-defend round. Extremely popular over in Europe and arguably the second or sometimes even the first most popular esport in the world, uh, right up there kind of flirting alongside League of Legends. Uh, this one has been out for over 10 years, John, and just recently, this past weekend, it broke its all-time record player count for concurrent players with over 1.3 million people logged in at the same time on Steam. That is insane. Uh, <laughs> it's crazy. Years, Absolutely. It's essentially a boomer game, in all honesty, <laughs> is, is what it comes down to in gamer years. Yeah, I mean, look, that that's really cool. Um, you know, Obviously, CSGO is doing something right. Uh, it's it's not known for the best graphics. It's not known for, uh, you know, the the best you know live content updates or anything like that. But it's a diehard fan base that loves the game, that loves the esports scene. That they both really go hand in hand uh, with the success of this title. Um, it's it's great to hear. It's great to see, especially you know, there's challenger after challenger popping up. The most recent one being Valorant. Uh, trying to dethrone CSGO, whether they want to admit it or not. It's essentially what they're trying to do. Uh, any kind of, of, of FPS game like that is going to try to dethrone CSGO because they're the king of the castle. And if you want to be king, you have to overthrow the current king. Uh, and CSGO still holding on strong. I mean, it's really a compliment to the game and to the creators of the game, keeping it up and running and the esports scene for so long. I mean, that's the biggest thing, right? Like every game, it feels like practically every game starts to lose people over time. And you'll have updates that come out, a new season for Fortnite, a new season for Apex, whatever it may be. And players come back, they flock, they want to play the new cosmetics, play with the new cosmetics, jump on the new maps, pick up the new guns, whatever the approach may be for these new seasons, or even a new cinematic story that goes alongside them. With CSGO, there's really none of that. You see a new map here and there, maybe a new gun, which I don't even think they've released new guns in quite a while. Um, but overall, it's like very few things outside of like some weapon skins here and there uh, that really continues to flow. But similar to League of Legends, it's that competitive environment. The maps overall, for the most part, generally stay the same, but it's just that constant feeling of players think differently round to round, so it's always a variation depending who you match up with. There's a rank system to continue to grind, um, but many games have that. CSGO, for some reason, though, even with its, I would say, subpar graphics at this point, continues to defy gravity, continues to defy what the charts are telling them it should. And now here, 1.3 million people this past weekend concurrent playing. Uh, I mean, those are just phenomenal numbers. And again, up there right with probably the top dog in League of Legends. You could argue Minecraft at certain points, Roblox at certain points. Uh, even Fortnite has made quite an effort. But overall, I mean, CSGO is just a perennial top five favorite up there and just continuing to find ways to break records here. Now, three years later, breaking the record once again. Yeah, and I think the League of Legends comparison is perfect. You know, you take a look at Summoner's Rift. It's got some gone over some graphic updates. They finally straightened out and strained their uh, spaghetti code every now and then uh, from Riot, which is which is kind of nice. But you know, every now and then they'll do something funky with Summoner's Rift. Also, like they'll uh, oh, you'll kill a Drake or whatever the hell we're calling it this season, <laughs> and depending upon what it is, it's going to change you know certain pathways in the jungle. 
um, for for junglers and anyone else that goes into the jungle, and it's going to give you boosts and buffs and all this other stuff. And then obviously you have your your biweekly patches that come out that completely break the game because they change their eight thousand item list uh, by one percent, and everyone goes freaking nuts. Uh, or they add their eight hundred and thirty second uh, champion to the game, uh, and that's a whole new kit that you have to learn along with the other eight hundred and thirty one champions in the game. You have to figure out so you know how to counter them. Um, CSGO doesn't have to do any of that, and it's it's very, very impressive. They're not adding new gu guns. They're not adding new uh, operators with different, like, skill sets and all this other stuff. It's a very basic game uh, that does it very, very well and has stood the test of time so far. Um, but uh, League of Legends, I, I think, pays attention to that a little bit, too, without having those massive changes to Summoner Rift. But they, they still like to get a little spicy sometimes, sometimes maybe a little too spicy. Uh, and then they, you know, just tweak things here and there, and then they probably roll some stuff back too. But but CS:GO is definitely an anomaly when it comes to that. Right, it's probably one of the more plain and simple games out there. But then tactically speaking, there are so many layers to it as far as like when to go in and buy, when to force buy, when to take different incendiaries versus frag grenades, and it's just there's a lot of tactics to it. But for something, I don't want to call it simple because again, there are so many layers of tactics. But it's not a crazy approach where you're throwing in abilities and throwing in champions and changing up maps regularly. It's very simple, very straightforward, and then it kind of allows the tactics to speak for itself. Um, but yeah, overall, incredible that it's still putting up numbers like these, and I'm excited to see how it continues to grow for years into the future. Next up, I love this. This was probably one of my favorite shadow drops of the year. We've had some cool ones. Hi-Fi Rush from Xbox and Bethesda was phenomenal and Game of the Year candidate for a lot of people. We had another great Shadow Drop, and it's done extremely well review-wise with the Metroid Prime remaster from the Nintendo Switch Direct. Uh, but on top of that, this one was Shadow Dropped, and it's a little bit out there. Double Fine released a 22-hour docu-series on the making of Psychonauts 2. Psychonauts 2, for those who didn't play... I think it came about 10 years after the original game. Uh, I don't remember the platforms from the original game, but I think Xbox was one of them, maybe PS2 as well. Um, but overall, it was a game. It was a cult classic. It didn't sell extremely well up front, but has been heralded as one of the better games of that generation overall. And now we've kind of got a look at what brought them to first come into the idea of making a Psychonauts 2, and then eventually going through the stuff like the Xbox acquisition all the way to the launch of Psychonauts 2. I think this is so cool, John. Like, we've seen some great docuseries in the video games world. We both really like the Xbox one they put out. It was like six episodes long. Uh, really cool history of Xbox. But this is an ongoing docuseries prior to that acquisition of everything kind of going in the mind of a smaller indie studio at the time. Like, the day-to-day -day operations. They literally filmed, I think, like every day in the studio. Or like every week there was at least some kind of filming done. And they've put this together in, I don't know exactly how many episodes it is, but it's 22 hours I believe is what I saw in the article. I've watched the first episode. It was really cool. Um, Tim Schafer, the head of the studio, is heralded as one of the best kind of game directors and developers and designers of all time. Uh, he's kind of got that crazy direction with these wild games out there, Psychonauts being a great example of it. Um, but on top of that, Psychonauts 2 to kind of come from something that was not super successful up front and then to become something that releases as a giant game of the year candidate that it did. Uh, I'm excited to dive further into this, but... 22 hours is a very daunting thing to ask of someone as well. Yeah. I mean, Joey, you and I talk about docuseries that we watch all the time, whether it's uh, Drive to Survive, the F1 series on Netflix, whether it's the new uh, golf series that just came out on Netflix as well. 
uh, which, by the way, I am not a golf fan. Mm. I think golf is a lazy attempt at a sport. I don't think it's very athletic. But the docuseries has me hooked. We'll just say, we'll just say that. I, I love <laughs> drama. I love drama is what it comes down to. Um, and it's really cool because last year with the whole introduction of Live Golf, backed by Saudi Arabia, shocker, um, uh, that covers all of that also, and I'm here for that drama. And actually, Joey, the reason I brought that up is because I just got a text message from a buddy of mine. Mm. Uh, let me know. Episode three is when the Live drama starts uh, oh. in the docuseries. Uh, but yeah, you mentioned the Xbox uh, miniseries that came out uh, that covered kind of like uh, the creation of Xbox and Microsoft kind of stepping out of their their comfort zone and creating a gaming console and, and the gaming wars starting to heat up. It was absolutely fantastic. We see mini docuseries on esports. Uh, aside from the Jeff Goldblum one that makes me feel very creepy while watching it because Jeff <laughs> Goldblum is a really weird guy. Uh, you know, anything that, that goes behind the scenes and kind of shows you the inner workings of something that you enjoy or uh, something that you can appreciate is always going to grab your attention. And in this case, if you're listening to us, if you're watching us, you're a gamer, you're an eSport fan, you're someone who enjoys the art that is video games, this is a great idea or great uh, uh, way to uh, see what goes into developing these games. Like, figure out, you know, if you've ever played a game and go, you know what, I wonder why they took it this direction. Or I wonder why they put this in the game. Or why is this mechanic there? Uh, I heard X, Y, and Z about this mechanic, but it didn't make the game. These docuseries are great because there's a good chance they're going to cover it. Or at least you'll get a better understanding of why they took the direction they did. Which, who knows, may make Psychonauts 2 one of your favorite games overall because now you have a better understanding of what the uh, ultimate goal was for this game. Uh, I wish they would do this a lot more. Uh, for a lot of big game titles out there or just indie games in general to kind of give them more hype, uh, more promotion out there. Uh, understanding that that's a ton of content and everyone's time is being battled over by a streamer, by other streaming services and video games and so on and so forth. Um, but from a docuseries standpoint, this is fascinating. It's something I'm definitely diving into. I just need to find time uh, because the new F1 Drive to Survive <laughs> series comes out next week. And I'm counting down the days for that one too uh so yeah it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a battle for time but uh this is definitely one that's on my list and i'm super excited to know that after episode one joe you're enjoying it yeah it's good so far again it is definitely on the longer side 22 hours is quite a docuseries in length um but i think overall like from a video games perspective our biggest glass into these developer situations more or less is the games in themselves we're playing these games, we're kind of getting an understanding, and a lot of it is just kind of made up in our heads. Like, why was this mechanic? Why did it come about? And maybe occasionally we get something like a state of play from PlayStation, a direct from Nintendo, where there might be a developer that comes out and says, hey, we created this new character because of blah, blah, blah. Or we came out with this new mechanic because of this. Or this is something we noticed was lacking in the original game. So for the sequel, we developed it this way. And I think that's something we get. But again, it's just such a surface level understanding of things. And then from the AAA perspective, games like God of War, The Last of Us with Naughty Dog, Halo with 343, we always hear about crunch. It's like, ah, these big games are coming out. They've enlisted all of these studios, but they still have to crunch these employees to get it done. And you get these delays because of this. And then these employees had to sleep at the studio because of these reasons. But it's always a AAA perspective. It's always there's 300 employees or whatever the giant number may be at these studios working on these games. It's very rare that we actually get that touch into those studios that are like seven people, 20 people, 
30 people even, 40 people. Like those smaller studios from those tiny little, they start in a conference room and then they slowly grow versus these 100, 200 level studios. So I think that's kind of a cool perspective. Like there is so much more sacrifice that goes into these smaller studios. Some people may go months without pay. Some people may literally live at the studio for a long time because one, it's either A, starting up, or B, because they just can't afford not to because they need the project to land. And then you hear about all these horror stories and you got a little tiny bit of this in the Xbox documentary about pitching these things. Like there's so much that goes into pitching. In that case, a plastic box. In this case, a game that it could not land and there goes your funding for the next week, the next month, the next year. So it's just, there's so much emotion riding on these things. And I think this one in particular is kind of cool because you do see that big acquisition in the middle. You kind of see that light at the end of the tunnel. You hear about all these sacrifices. And again, I have only watched episode one. But I'm imagining they're going through these early struggles of creating the company, eventually finding a way to get the game, the original game, to come out, and now bucketing the second game. And then you hear this acquisition come through. And it's like, now we can have all of our dreams somewhat answered. But at the same point, you're kind of nervous because you're getting bought by this big company. And how is an Xbox or a Microsoft going to treat us? And same with Sony and their acquisitions. Like, are they going to come in and just change our company culture? Is that a risk we're willing to take? But at the same point, we might have more freedom and the ability to make games we want without having to worry about going budget to budget, month to month with these other games. So I don't know. I'm stoked for it. 22 hours is a very long time, but it's something we can spread out over time. And I'm excited to, especially with a legendary person like Tim Schafer leading the charge, I'm curious to, curi I'm curious to see kind of the insight, the uh, diving into his brain in Psychonauts-esque territory of kind of getting a little bit of an insight into that area as well. Anything else to say on Psychonauts 2? Did you finish Psychonauts 2, by the way? I know you got pretty far, but I don't remember if you finished it. <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> That's when you need to go back and finish. I, I uh, need to. I definitely need to go back and finish. Some of sure. those later levels are brilliant. And definitely, guys, if you've not played Psychonauts 2, highly recommend it. Uh, it is on Game Pass, I think, for the long term. Not 100% sure, but with them owning the IP now, I would assume it stays on there, uh, depending on what those publisher rights look like. But yes, Psychonauts 2, very, very good game. I think it's on every platform, not 100% sure on Nintendo Switch, um, but it should be out there on quite a few. Next up, Bungie has detailed the year ahead for Destiny 2. Yes, we did move on from Destiny 1 to Destiny 2 after a lot of people were hoping Destiny would stay around forever, but we did eventually get a sequel, and so far we have season after season after season. The main ideals of this one looking forward for Destiny and what it means leading up to the final shape, they're hoping to A, expand players' imaginations, B, bring challenge back to destiny, enrich our content, and connect to their guardians. Uh, these things all kind of conglomerate together in one big circle, if you ask me. Uh, I'm not going to go through all of this. John and I are not the biggest destiny players. Uh, we both have dabbled John more in the original destiny, me more in destiny 2, uh, mainly because I didn't have a next-gen console or PC to play the original when it first came out. Um, but since then, we have some details on some of the stuff coming. The Season of Defiance is going to be your next season. It is launching in February this month that we're in currently uh, with the new Lightfall expansion. Then from there, they're going to dive into a few seasons to come. We have the Season of the Deep set to follow the Season of Defiance and so on and so forth. Now, again, a lot of this content is obviously created before these goals were created. Uh, some of these goals were issued a little bit later in 2022, early 2023, and now discussed now. Content like this, as we've discussed the hard making of video games, some of the ideas of this probably started years ago. 
And then from there, they've built it out, obviously, and now they're going to implement it here in February or at least begin to. So not everything is going to click perfectly with the different things they've outlined as far as the goals for the year. But as we continue to see the year fold out, some of that later content throughout the year should hit those goals a little bit harder on the head. Um, but overall, John, I think the biggest thing to take away here is I love that they give a year ahead of view. I think this is something a lot of people would like to see from games in general. As someone who plays MMOs with WoW, you get a little bit of this here and there, but I feel like Blizzard to come out and say, hey, this is what you're going to get over this year. This is everything to look forward to would be so welcome from the MMO perspective. Uh, from me, from the Halo perspective, uh, as a Spartan um, trying to find new maps within the game, I would love for them just to come out and say, hey, you're going to get 20 new maps this year or even 10 new maps this year. You're going to get five new guns this year. They don't have to give me all the details, but give me things to look forward to. And I think Destiny and Bungie do quite a good job of that in Destiny 2. Joey, did you know in Destiny 2 there is a secret um, quest line called the Good Boy Protocol where essentially you end up petting a robotic dog? No, but that's amazing. I love that. That's yeah. a great Easter egg. Yeah. Um, Destiny 2, the reason why I still won't play it. Weird <laughs> stuff like that. Just whatever. <laughs> but you got to tell me you love the idea of this, right? Like the idea of a year ahead, even if it just kind of scratches the surface of certain things. I like that they kind of give some direction to the player base. Any time, I think this should be standard practice for any live service Agreed. game, period. Every studio is working two, three years in advance. I mean, prime example, World of Warcraft, they're already working on their next two expansions. It's already in the works. It's, that's something that they're already doing. The new expansion, Dragonflight, just came out. It's a very new expansion. It still has a two- to three-year life cycle to go. Um, and there's more content being put out for it. But that's content that was created years ago that they're polishing and putting the finishing touches on. The next expansion is already well into development. There's already an in-game for this expansion. There's an in-game for next expansion. They're making changes here and there. That doesn't mean that they can't give you an idea of the direction of that game. Something Blizzard has started doing. I love the fact that Bungie is doing that with Destiny. Every live service game should give at least a roadmap of the direction of the game for the next year. Because if you're a player and you're playing these games and you want players to continue to play these games, the last thing you want them to do is sit here and be like, I thought this was a live service game. When's the next update? What's the direction they're going to go? What's next? As soon as a player says what's next, you've started to lose them. Their attention is no longer on your game. Those streaming services, those other video games, everything else that's 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 going after that player's time is now starting to creep in because they don't know what is next. Mm -hmm. Give them that roadmap. It's a very, very smart move to do. You don't have to tell them everything up front. You can hint at things. You, you can suggest things. Make people stay interested in your game going forward. Right, and I think that's the biggest thing. It gives some kind of direction. It gives some kind of promise. It gives a little bit of that like satiation to taste like you're wanting to get an idea of what's coming you're wanting to get something to build towards something to look forward to and something like this allows players to have something to grasp at in that sense and i think that at least gives a little bit more direction and even from like a cosmetic standpoint right like i want to play this game i want to buy cosmetics but I don't know what's coming. Is Destiny 3 around the corner? Do I have a reason to continue to invest in this game? And I think giving stuff like this gives them, hey, you have at least another year of this game, and this is what we're looking forward to into the future after that. And kind of giving that direction allows players to not only invest more money into the game, paying the developers, but invest more of their time, invest more of their 
uh, really just brain matter mentality into the game as well. I know brain matter. I'm because I have this headache going on and I can't think. Um, but like, just be able to invest more of everything uh, into the game itself, I think, is really important. So I love that Destiny's doing that. I love that Bungie is kind of investing into doing these updates on the level that they do for Destiny Two, and I hope we see more of that moving forward. So before we jump into the next topic, you said brain matter. It made me I think know. of this. Um, are you watching at all the Last of Us series on HBO? Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've been watching on okay. release. Are, are, are you up to date after the five episodes? I am. I want your take so far after five episodes uh, on that game. It's completely off topic. There's no bullet point on our notes. I just It just clicked my mind because, you know, parasites, zombie, brain matter, fun stuff. So well, your take after five episodes, sir. So my biggest thing going in, and again, there's like 75 to 80 of these video game TV series movies in the yeah. works. I had three that I was looking forward to the most. One of them was not Halo. Uh, the Last of Us, Fallout, and Elder Scrolls. I think all three of those are going to pop off. I also have slightly high hopes for the Gears of War animated series, not the movie. The animated series, I think, is going to be quite good at Netflix. Um, but really, those were the three. The Last of Us, I think, is probably going to be the biggest one. But Fallout and Elder Scrolls, especially with as well as Game of Thrones did, Elder Scrolls could have a lot of potential as well. Um, but yeah, I went in with very high expectations. It's met all of them. Uh, it's done incredibly well. I would say 9 out of 10 is the lowest I would give it. I would probably punch toward that 10 out of 10, uh, even though I don't score anything that high. Uh, there's been certain things I would definitely cut out of the episodes. I think they went a little too hard on certain areas and kind of dragged them out a bit more. Um, but overall, I think the twists and turns, the differences they've made from the games to... Um, without jumping to spoilers, like emphasize certain things more than they did in the games to kind of build a bit more character and formality to certain aspects, I think has been nice. I'm curious to see how viewers react to some of the twists that are coming later down the road uh, that will differ even farther from what the games delivered. Uh, will be interesting to see kind of the reactions to that. But overall, I think it's phenomenal. Uh, I had doubts about Bella's acting at first, but I feel like she's kind of come in and done a phenomenal job as Ellie. Uh, I mean, Joel and Pedro, I thought were going to be a great match to begin with. So that one doesn't surprise me as much, um, but also the supporting cast. I feel like everyone who's been in supporting cast roles has been pretty solid. I mean, I can't say that for many shows out there. I feel like you'll have some actors and actresses that are great, some that are kind of subpar. Um, but in this one, I feel like even all the supporting actors and actresses, at least with minor roles, have come through and done pretty well, too. Yeah, it's so. So, Joey, I mean, you and our listeners and viewers know uh, when it comes to video game adaptations on TV or in the movies, I'm super skeptical. And on top of it, I hate zombies. Mm. I, I think it's a genre that's overdone. I freaking love this TV series. I yeah, absolutely good. love it. And, you know, I, I don't necessarily mind the whole zombie aspect of it. Because uh, at the end of the day, like, it's, it's while it's it's highly unlikely to actually happen, just from a scientific standpoint. With well, that's that, what they thought, uh, too, John. Well... <laughs> Anywho, uh, the 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 realistic connection to real to real world uh, makes the whole zombification of people a little bit more believable versus oh it's just the dead popping up out of the ground and we have zombies uh, which which is boring but uh, yeah I think the series is great obviously it's it can't be like the video game where you're fighting zombies twenty four seven that would make for terrible TV. So uh, I love the uh, deep dives they've done into the character development. The action scenes are absolutely great. Uh, episode one, I feel like, was a straight... And this is not a spoiler if you've played the game. Uh, is a straight-up 
like rip of the first level of mm. of the Last of Us video game, and I love that. I love how accurate it is uh, down to to very specific details uh, in there. I, I thought the opening scene in episode one, kind of giving that backstory, uh, was absolutely phenomenal and probably the most terrifying scene. Um, cause you go from like people laughing about the idea, just like you were doing Joey, uh, to, to, to the scientists being like, no, this is like something that could theoretically happen if all of these conditions are, are met and it kind of ends on a somber note. And then you go into the beginning phases of it and everything. So I thought that was really, really cool as well. Um, yeah, the storytelling is great. The acting is phenomenal. Uh, I can't wait for new episodes to come out. It's circled on my calendar. I can't wait for this Sunday. Episode six is going to be absolutely wild. Uh, Joey, I usually don't cry uh, over video game TV shows or movies. There were some episodes that had me freaking bawling. Uh, just the story and the acting and just the way they're able to portray the emotions. Episode five, the last one, had me like dead on the inside like it was just an absolute numbing episode and it was very very well done that's my uh, favorite by far so far yeah it it was brutal i mean episode three was emotional i mean they're all emotional but like just those background stories just it, they hit you in the feels man like you don't expect it from a video game movie or tv series and it's just like damn i wasn't expecting that but yeah I, i'd agree i think a nine out of ten is the lowest i'd give it uh, i'm like you i don't give a 10 out of 10 because i just that's highly imp impractical. Um, I, I would argue maybe a 9.5, but it is an absolutely fantastic right. series. Uh, it's right up there with Arcane and Proving Me Wrong that maybe we've gotten to the point in society where we have evolved uh, as a human species that we can actually make good video game content on TV going forward. Right. And it, while it's the last of us, it won't <laughs> be the last of these adaptations to come because there are so many more in the works. So, We'll see what everyone can put together. Again, I think outside of The Last of Us, which 100% you should watch if you have access to HBO, yes. uh, it has been renewed for season two as well. Uh, do you know, I think season one is nine episodes in length. Is that right? It needs to be more than nine. <laughs> I, think it's, so I think it's nine. Uh, so we're at five, just about halfway through, a little over no. halfway through. <laughs> Um, and then well, it'll be a while before we get season two, but hopefully some of the other stuff like Fallout is currently recording. Uh, I think that one should be good. And then there's some other ones in there that... Uh, will be interesting to see how they add apps. Um, there's there's a lot of rich IPs. I don't remember which ones have been announced and which ones isn't, is, have not, so I'm not going to say too much. Uh, but overall, there is quite a bit in the works from those big AAA IPs to those smaller indie game IPs that we've talked about earlier. So we'll see how everything comes, what becomes movies, what becomes TV shows, what gets scrapped in development and never makes its way out, uh, which I could see with so many of these projects in the works, a number of those having that happen as well, unfortunately. Um, but hopefully that means we do get that final quality. Maybe not all of them on the level of The Last of Us, but at least higher than that original Mario Brothers movie uh, at the very least. Moving on, we have Riot Games. We talked a little bit about them with League of Legends earlier on. Well, League of Legends in and of itself is a game, but it is also the part of a broader IP known as kind of the Runeterran region at this point, uh, where League of Legends takes place. As John mentioned, Arcane is a great series that has been done in it as far as an animated TV series, and we have seen that kind of built upon not only in the redoing of the lore behind League of Legends, but also in expanding to other games like League of Legends Wild Rift. You have some of that lore into Legends of Runeterra, the card game that kind of is supposed to rival Hearthstone, rather, uh, when it comes to League of Legends lore as well. Now we have them kind of continuing to develop the Riot Forge partnerships. Riot Forge was originally created as a partner program. 
obviously Riot has this giant IP on their hands, and because they have all these other games ongoing between Valorant and League of Legends and so on and so forth, they don't have time to create all of these little projects to continue to utilize the IP to the best of its ability. So they said, hey, we're going to make it available to select partners that apply through our process with creative ideas. Then from there, we'll enlist them to help expand our IP and make these smaller kind of in somewhat indie degree titles, but I think we could eventually see some AAA stuff coming out of it as well. In the end, we have three games so far that have been officially announced for this year. That is the Song of Nunu from Tequila Works. That one's set to launch in fall 2023, and as the title suggests, it will highlight Nunu, the champion from League of Legends. We have Convergence from Double Stallion, that one coming slightly earlier in summer 2023, and focusing on the boy who can rewind time in Echo. And then last but not least, and this is the newest one to be announced to my knowledge, this is the Mage Seeker from Digital Sun. It's going to be an action RPG that was confirmed on Twitter today, and it's going to highlight Silas in spring 2023 as its release date. Again, these are kind of seasonal release dates, so I'm not 100% sure where they fall overall. Um, but it does look like Riot is kind of working toward that model that Xbox is working toward right now, where they want to have some kind of game releasing every quarter. I love this as a model, especially with Riot kind of focusing on these smaller indie games. It'd be nice to see them pump out something to highlight a character of theirs within that League of Legends story, or even a biome or land or whatever you want to call it within the story, uh, to continue to expand on that lore on a regular basis. It's nice reading patch notes and seeing what kind of luck skin John may buy next on the patch Stop notes. Um, but overall, it's one of those things that I would like to dive into some of these other characters and dive beyond just reading that their Q damage is being reduced or their W recharge time uh, and kind of giving some more of that backstory and lore that I'm not going to go to the website and read that regularly. Um, so I think the idea of TV shows like Arcane, I hope we get more of that. I hope we get more of these smaller games. And while I'm not going to play every one of them, it is nice to know that the option is out there and will be out there for a few different platforms as well. Yeah, I, I think the the League of Legends uh, universe is very rich with what you can do with it. When you have a crap ton of, of characters in your game, uh, like League of Legends, which I believe since the last report were over uh, 1,100 characters now uh, in that game. Uh, sarcasm, of course. Um, not too far off. <laughs> not too far off, though, it feels like. Uh, you can do things like this. You can have these small spinoff games. You can create uh, more in-depth lore. You can create um, these new mini-universes centering around a champion here and there. And I think it's smart. That's how you get more people to play your game. I mean, just take a look at the the spike in players for League of Legends after Arcane came out. You put more games out here like this that introduce people to League of Legends and that universe. Who knows? Maybe that's more people uh, that show up on the Rift. Maybe that's more people that Riot can suck into their toxic community. I mean, into their amazing gaming community that is League of Legends. That's definitely not toxic at all. Um, yeah, so... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I just going off of your thought, John, I feel like 100%, like, it's going to pull people in. I yeah. mean, with Arcane, I feel like just, I know friends that are like, I might download League of Legends. I don't know what it is. The game doesn't look like it'll appeal to me, but I've Run. connected with these characters on different levels. And, like, then they tie it together with the skins. You could get, like, the, I don't remember what they called it in game, but, like, the Powder or Jinx Arcane skin. There's the Caitlyn skin. I think there's a Jace skin involved as well. So just tying all that stuff together, kind of saying, hey, if you like the show, come check out League. Or if you like League, come check out the show. And I think Riot has done a really good job expanding their IPs that way. And I'm curious to see how they do it now with these kind of independent game developers also involved, too. I think the funniest thing is with the whole Arcane push 
was the amount of people that downloaded the game to play Jinx. Uh, right. And then that's all they played. And the and amount she's hard, too. <laughs> she is. Uh, and the amount of people complaining on Reddit or the, the message boards about all these noobs locking in Jinx Jungle or Jinx Top or, or Jinx Support because they wanted to play the character they saw in Arcane, it was, I mean, one, shows the effect is real, and two, just shows how long of a way this community has to go to shed its, its toxic trait, if you will, uh, especially when new players come into the scene for League of Legends. Um, but yeah, I think they're doing a great job. I'm super excited for all the content they're putting out there. And I personally, like you, Joey, can't wait for Arcane Season 2 when it eventually comes out. Oh, and credit where credit's due, right? They at least updated the tutorial. Now they don't have you buying Thornmail, a big defensive item on an AD carry <laughs> like Ash. Um, so it is making progress in that new Slowly. player onboarding Slowly. process. But once they do eventually unlock that champion roster, notice that it's 1,100 champions or whatever it is nowadays. Uh, it is a little bit daunting for them to kind of dive into as well. Okay, last but not least, John, again, a little bit of a lighter episode today, not a ton of topics to touch on, uh, as it feels like the news cycle, for the most part, has been brought up with a bunch of rumors and brought up with a bunch of drama between Microsoft, Sony, the FTC, the UK, CMA, uh, and this ongoing beautiful deal that is Activision Blizzard, and who knows how that ends up, or when it even ends eventually at some point as well. Uh, but the last bit of news here is the Horizon Call of the Mountain. Uh, it's a phenomenal IP, the Horizon series. You have Horizon Zero Dawn, Horizon Forbidden West, uh, really helping carry forward the PS4 and PS5 as a new title over there from Guerrilla Games. Now, on top of those two consoles, it's going to help kind of carry out the launch of the PSVR 2, which is launching, I believe, this month in February. Now this coming out, getting its review scores as kind of a launch title, but not only a PSVR launch title to help sell the hardware, and also a first-party launch title to help sell it all together with that Sony PlayStation tie to it overall. Uh, this one's currently sitting at 79 out of 100 on Metacritic, 40 reviews in so far. I think it's a pretty, pretty favorable score. Uh, obviously, you want to be in those high 80s to low 90s. If you can even push to 100, that would be phenomenal as well. Uh, but sitting at a 79, 80 score is not a bad place to be, uh, especially for VR, where we have seen a lot of lower scores for many games. Uh, a lot of that being VR has not been adapted as much widely. Uh, it's still kind of a newer technology, so people are still trying to figure out the best ways to implement games into it and utilize the hardware available as it quickly kind of expands with these new headsets coming out every couple of years, these new controllers coming out every few years. Um, so overall, I think PlayStation, I think fans of the VSVR 2 or the people looking into the PSVR 2 can be happy about a 79, 80 score around that range here. Um, but overall, it's not the heavy hitting title that I think they were hoping it would be, but it's still a pretty decent, I would call... Um, pretty good. Again, it's just hard to rate because VR is just so different right now and they don't hit the traditional scores. So I would say this is not the greatest launch, but it's a pretty good launch for them as far as launch titles go. Have you adopted into the VR realm yet, John? Absolutely not. I don't have that kind of money. <laughs> and that's the biggest thing, right? I think that's the biggest holdback for most people is one, it costs a lot of money. And two, depending on what VR headset go with, it's going to cost even more money to get something to operate it, whether it be a PC or, in this case, buying a PS5 alongside of it. It's not just the expensive headset you're buying, the games you're buying, but it is that external hardware as well that you have to somewhat connect it to. And then what? You have to connect it to a TV, potentially, depending on what other things are going on, uh, if it's a party game that they have to be able to see the screen for, or even just to enhance the experience overall. Uh, there's just so many other factors to contribute to it. And like you said, this is not like 
in this case, it's a little bit easier because you connect it to a PS5. You could argue those are hard to find as well. But with some of the PC-based ones, you have to have a pretty darn nice PC to run them. And these specs just continue to get a little bit more expensive as we have stuff like crypto mining going on. Uh, that's obviously taken a decline in recent months uh, with everything going on on that front. But it is one of those things to keep in mind, the expenses all involved with this. But I think if someone is looking at buying into the PSVR realm, especially with the PSVR 2, it does look like this is a pretty decent launch title to start with. And I want to say their launch title lineup is something around... I think it was like 20 to 30 games that will be available natively for the PSVR 2. Uh, so there will be a decent selection at launch as well, uh, alongside that, that bit of a pricey price tag in February. Anything else you want to chat about, sir? I mean, we can touch on a few of the games we've been playing before we wrap up. Uh, I know you and I have both been wands deep in Hogwarts Legacy. Um, overall, we have both had our sorting hat experience. We've started to explore the many mysteries of Hogwarts Castle from the beast stores uh, to the little winged uh, key guys that we have to slap into holes. Uh, this sounds really odd out of context. Have you completed uh, <laughs> that quest line just out of curiosity? Oh, absolutely not. I haven't had time to explore the full castle yet. I have. Wow. Very yeah, nice. And, and the robe that you get is pretty badass. I'm not going to lie. Oh, I nice. love it. <laughs> yeah, I have not. I don't even know if I've been to every quarter of the castle yet. I have explored quite a bit i'm quite high level i'm kind of surprised at high of how high of a level i am right now i'm like 24 or 25 um which i was expecting to be a lot slower of a progression than it has been um but i do get caught up on side quests quite a bit unfortunately that is one i have not been caught all the way to conclusion for yet um but i am excited to see you don that robe here in a discord chat in the near future have uh have you gotten your mount yet N not broom but animal mount no i don't think so that's a great quest line. Um, oh, have you dabbled with the dark arts at all? I have. Wow. I so I have gotten. I have not taken a traditional path. Um, I feel like most people probably go either the main quest line and then some divvy off to the side quest line. Uh, I have done what you probably should not do in an open world game, and I have decided to start exploring the map. Um, so I have been oh. to places that I should not be in yet. Um, uh, my own little Marauders map excursion per se. Uh, I've gone to areas with very high level enemies, and I can only get around with the cloaking experience. So I've been like <laughs> walking around, putting people to sleep, or turning them into stones. Like as I slowly creep my way around these areas with like way higher level enemies, where they'd probably one hit me if they saw me. Um, so I've been really working on kind of my um, let's call it Metal Gear experience of stealth, kind of walking around in my cardboard box per se. You're missing a really fun storyline. I know. Right? I'm excited yeah. to dive back in. I just I had a little bit of a tangent I, of exploration. I will say this, though, that that might be a smart way of doing it because just the travel time, especially if you don't have, like, your upgrade to your broom mm. uh, for speed, um, yet it, it definitely takes – hey, look, it, it's not World of Warcraft long of travel time, um, but the flu flame definitely does help cut a lot of that time yeah. down. I love the fast travel system. I think they implemented that really well. And at least on the Xbox consoles, it is so fast, the load time between them. Yeah. Uh, it's like nearly instant. So I think, again, while it's probably a little bit roundabout and it's probably not the encouraged way of doing things, hopefully it will cut down on some of that commuting time later on. Anything else you want to touch on, sir, before we wrap up today? Uh, that's that's all I got. I'm going to, after we're done here, I'm actually going to go play some video games. I might turn the, the, the PGA docu-series or golf docu-series, whatever, on just because I really want to see that damn drama. But that's that's neither here nor there. 
I like it. I like it. Well, with that, sir, go ahead and take us into that lovely closing and wrap up today's show. All right, Nation, that is going to do it for this edition of Level Up Live. But before you go, make sure you follow the show on Twitch to catch the next episode of Level Up Live. If you listen to the show on our podcast review or pack pop, pop, podcast feed, leave us a review. Words, very difficult here today. Uh, the Level Up podcast is available on Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, uh, and your podcatcher of choice to look us up. We would love to hear from you. In fact, we love to hear from our community so much. Joey, there are more, multiple ways that can reach out to us. What are those ways? Absolutely, guys. Head on over to Twitter and find us at Level Up Live. That is LVLUP Live. In addition to that, you can follow the Umbrella Company, OTN Media, on Twitter and Facebook at OTN Media, and over on Instagram at OTN underscore media. Last but not least, hit us up with a follow, maybe even one of those juicy Twitch Prime subs over here on Twitch. That's twitch.tv forward slash OTN Media. We try to have a number of streams with a little bit of variety throughout the week, but this show typically Thursday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Come join us for the latest news in gaming and esports. All right, make sure you tune in next week on Thursday, February the 23rd, as we continue to cover the latest and greatest in gaming and esports news. Do your ears and eyes a favor. Hit that sub and follow button to know when the next episode of Level Up Live is ready for your entertainment pleasures. We'll catch you all next week. Enjoy your weekend. And remember, be nice to your fellow gamers online. And as always, Level Up. up.